live. Welcome everybody to episode three of Manic Bumblings of a Modern Martial Artist. I'm your host Jake Fernie. First things first guys, hope everybody had a wonderful, safe Thanksgiving holiday spent with loved ones and with good food. I know for sure on my end, uh, I probably had a little too much of the said good food, uh, particularly my mom's uh, sweet potato pie and her apple pie. But uh, you know what? Hey, it's the holidays. It's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to enjoy the good food and the good company and whatnot, right? So hopefully everybody had a good, safe holiday. And hopefully you guys today were able to get back in, burn off some of those calories and start getting back into the swing of things again. Um, today, guys, uh, I got a little something different planned for today. So realizing that not everybody who tunes in to listen to me um, is going to understand a lot of the things that I talk about when it comes to mixed martial arts competition. Um, particularly, I know there's a lot of people out there who have probably watched a fight or two, um, whether at the amateur level or the professional level, and have probably wondered to themselves, hey, wait a minute, what, that, that guy can do that? Like, you can hit a guy like that? Like, you can twist an arm that way? Or you can choke somebody like that? So today, guys, what I'm going to do, this is mainly kind of geared towards new viewers of the sport or newer students who are just starting to get into mixed martial arts, right? Um, or maybe even for, you know, you uh, prospective fighters out there who maybe have your first fight booked and locked. Um, it's never a bad idea, guys, to make sure that you're getting at least a little bit of a head start on the rules, right? Just so that way... We don't commit one of those, you know, egregiously stupid fouls and, you know, end up either putting ourselves in an unwinnable situation or we get ourselves disqualified. So today, guys, for uh, for all of my viewers out here and listeners, listeners, I guess I should say I don't have viewers yet since we I don't have the camera capabilities yet. Uh, today, we're just going to slow it down a little bit and we are going to talk. Ba I'm basically going to give you guys a rules meeting. Um, and thankfully, guys, throughout my fight career and the many numbers, many number of times that I've been in corners uh, and, you know, been at rules meetings to corner my teammates and whatnot. Uh, thankfully, I have a good majority of these rules memorized and I can do this in my sleep. So we are going to start off, guys, right with just some of the obvious things that you cannot do. So let's talk first about some of the obvious fouls. Um, I always hear, you know, from, you know, a lot of casual fans and stuff. Um, you know, when people are talking amongst themselves and whatnot, you know, people always describe MMA as, okay, well, well, anything goes. You can do whatever you want to an extent, right? Now, even back in guys, right, back in the days of ancient Greece where mixed martial arts, you know, where Pancration really was born, um, was in the days of ancient Greece, um, they even had rules back then. Um, in the days of ancient Greece and the Pancration, you couldn't bite and you couldn't eye gouge. And I believe groin strikes might have been uh, might have been outlawed as well. Um, but really, even back then in those days, right, there, there were still rules that, you know, athletes had to follow. Um, so, of course, that's going to be no exception for modern day times. Obvious fouls. No headbutting of any kind. No eye gouging. No groin attacks. No small joint manipulation. By small joint manipulation, what do we mean by that? Um... What we mean by small joints, guys, is individual fingers and toes. So if we were in, if two athletes were in close quarters with each other, right, they were tied up, um, you wouldn't be able to see one athlete just reach down, grab a finger or grab a toe and just bend it backwards and snap it in half. Um, that would be illegal. 
if you're going to target submissions and joint locks, it has to be on a bigger joint. So it would have to, at the very least, the smallest joint that you could attack would either be the wrist or the ankle. Um, besides that, though, guys, um, all other joint locks would be allowed. But as far as small joints, fingers and toes, that is not allowed. Obviously, we're not going to be pulling a Mike Tyson and trying to bite people. Um, that's also going to be a little bit harder to do, especially when you got a big old mouthpiece in your mouth and everything. So uh, biting is obviously not allowed. No sticking fingers into any open orifice. That includes cuts. That includes the... Uh, that includes the mouth, the nostrils, the ears, right? So fish hooking is out of the question, right? Um, if an opponent was cut, I can't stick my fingers into that cut and start trying to pry it open and make it worse than it is, right? Um, so just some of the obvious rules. Um, oh, and hair pulling. Hair pulling is absolutely against the rules as well. No matter how long your opponent's hair may be, you cannot intentionally grab a fistful of hair and start pulling as hard as you can with it um when it comes to being up against the wall against the cage wall i should say no athlete at any time is allowed to stick their fingers in through the chain link and start holding on to the fence um that includes uh that includes when you're getting taken down and also guys this also includes using your toes as well lately uh in competition especially in the cage what you see people doing is that they're trying when they get taken down and if they're on a in the bottom position they'll use the bottom athlete will use their foot to start start trying to push off the cage and start trying to reverse position that way now pushing off of the cage is fine with a flat foot but what you're starting to see or what we started to see a lot more was athletes were starting to hook into the chain link with their toes in the same manner with that athletes were using their fingers. So now referees are having to crack down a little bit more on that there. So we do need to make sure that, hey, if you're going to push off of the fence, either with your hand or your foot, make sure that your fingers and toes are not going through the chain link. Otherwise, that's when the referee is probably going to start having some words with you there. Um, as far as obvious blatant fouls, those pretty much cover it. Oh, uh, the other one that you can't do, and this was always a, a, a subject of jokes at, you know, the rules meetings for the amateurs, um, or at least all the ones that I've been to. There's always the rule, guys, you are not allowed to pick up your opponent and try to throw them out of the competition venue, whether it's the ring, the cage, whatever it is, but you cannot pull a WWE and try to throw them out of the ring. Now, that was always a joke amongst us because we would always turn to one of our newer teammates and be like, hey, just take the DQ loss. You'll be you'll be a legend, right? Just just take the one DQ and just throw somebody out of the ring. Thankfully, none of our guys were that stupid to take us up on it. So but it was always just a it was always just a funny little joke that would pop up at literally every rules meeting whenever that one got brought up. So no no pulling the WWE and throwing your you know, throwing your opponent out into the crowd for, you know, an interesting souvenir there. <laughs> um, but as far as the obvious fouls though go guys that that's pretty much it there um, let's move on now guys and again we're talking specifically guys about mixed martial arts competition I'm not going to go into you know Muay Thai or MMA or anything like that let's talk just mixed martial arts um, let's talk about the standing rule set now now what constitutes a standing you know the standing rules obviously if both athletes are standing up on their feet that that's a standing that's a stand-up fight if and this is also now guys and we'll get into this a little bit later depending on you know depending on where you're at in the country whether or not they've adopted all of the rule changes or not 
um, different states will have different guidelines for what constitutes a standing opponent. And we'll dive into that here in a little bit. But as far as stand-up rules are concerned, we as combat sport athletes are allowed to punch the head. We can punch the body. And if you want to, you, you can punch your partner in the legs. Now, from a standing position, does punching the leg really do as much as throwing a kick? No, probably not. But at the same time, you have seen some fighters throw that little jab to the leg just to kind of, you know, change it up and kind of keep their partner guessing a little bit more. Um, notably, uh, one of my old teammates used to do that quite a few times. And then uh, I think he even stole that from John Jones, who uh, we both kind of saw doing that a couple of times. But you can technically punch the legs. Kicking. I can kick my partner in the legs. I can kick my partner in the body. And how I always tell my students, if they're short enough or if I'm flexible enough, then I can always throw a kick up to the head. Um, legal striking areas on the head must be from the crown of the head and ears forward. So anything, guys, that hits the back of the head is against the rules. Um, now, there is a little bit of gray area on this. Um, you... Every rules meeting that I've been to, every referee has always told us, as long as, say I was throwing a punch, as long as when I throw that punch, part of my glove is at least hitting your ear, then they're going to let it slide. But if no part of my glove hits your ear and I throw a shot that hits behind the ear, that's going to be a foul from there. Um, and for those of you guys out there who have never taken a solid shot to the back of the head, you're, you're lucky. It's, it's not a fun feeling at all. So we're going to take those ones out of it there. Um, as far as how I can throw my strikes, I can throw punches. I can throw open-handed strikes. So I can, I can literally slap my opponent. I can strike with my palm. I can strike with a back fist. I can strike with a hammer fist, which would hit more with the side of my hand from there. However really you want to throw, you're, you're absolutely more than able to do so. As long as my strikes go into one of those designated target areas, the head, the body, or the legs, then everything's fair game. As far as hand strikes are concerned, I cannot deliberately throw a strike to my partner's throat. So we do have to kind of, you know, be a little bit cautious of that there. Um, but that is the stand-up rules. Now, that also constitutes, guys, when that constitutes a stand-up fight when we're apart from each other and we're not hanging on to each other and also when we are up close and in the clinch. If two athletes in a mixed martial arts fight are tied up with each other and they're you know basically doing stand-up grappling with each other, it's still all fair game in there. We can still throw knees, we can throw punches, um, the pros obviously are able to throw elbows to the head, amateurs typically aren't allowed to throw elbows, uh, and they're typically not allowed to throw knees to the head. So amateurs out there, make sure that you're placing your shots, right? Place those knees to the body or to the legs and don't sneak them upstairs to the head. Um, obviously as amateurs, we can't throw elbows. So just might as well not even worry about those at all. Um, let's see here. Moving on to uh, the ground fighting rules. Um, and then as far as getting the fight, guys, from the feet to the ground, all takedowns are legal. The only things that I cannot do, guys, is pick my partner up, turn them upside down in the air, and deliberately spike them onto their head or their neck. Um, now, if I am doing, 
for example, guys, if I'm standing in front of my opponent and I shoot in and I get to a double leg takedown and I flare his legs up in the air and I slam him down, if I slam him on his back or his shoulders, that's fair game, right? Um, I could do my belly-to-back suplexes as long as I'm able to put my partner down onto their shoulders as best as I can, right? You can go belly-to-belly suplex, right? I've seen people do those. Pretty much all of your wrestling takedowns, guys, are all fair game from there. Um, one of my one of the refs at one of my old rules meetings that I remember from years ago um, had this to say. I remember I can't remember the ref, um, but I do remember him distinctly saying, "If you don't trust yourself to do that takedown, then don't do it." You know, pretty simple. Um, so obviously, somebody who's never trained it before probably shouldn't be thinking about trying to do a belly-to-back suplex and run the risk of spiking their partner directly onto their head or onto their neck, or even worse, injuring themselves. So um, when it comes to takedowns, guys, just make sure that you are able to correctly and, you know, I mean, in a sense, as safely as possible, perform that takedown. And obviously, when we're in competition, you know, we're in the heat of the moment, we're going as fast and as hard as we can. But you should be able to control it, especially when you're in the gym and whatnot, because these these are your teammates, these are your friends. The last thing that we want to do is, you know, seriously injure somebody that, you know, we like and that we care about. So uh, when it comes to takedowns, guys, just make sure that you're not deliberately spiking your training partner onto their head or neck, and then everything should be fair game from there. Now, getting back to what constitutes a ground fight right what constitutes a grounded fighter and this now guys has been the subject of debate and a lot of you know frustration um, not only at the amateur level but also at the professional level so how it used to be described to us guys at the amateur rules meetings when i was still fighting if at any point in time a part of my body besides the soles of my feet is in contact with the floor it is a ground fight so Let's say, for example, guys, right, if athlete A is standing up and looking down at his opponent as their their opponent is down on one knee, the guy who's on a knee is a grounded fighter. So now it changes, guys, what you can and cannot do. Um, This is also now where, guys, you have to really make sure that you check and see with, you know, your individual state and, you know, and athletic commissions and obviously the organization that you're having to be competing for what constitutes a grounded opponent. Um, Before the COVID shutdowns happened in the beginning of 2020, one of the last rules meetings that I remember going to, we asked that question, hey, what constitutes a grounded fighter? And here in Washington, it hadn't been, the change hadn't been adopted yet to where a fingertip on the ground still constitutes a standing fighter. Um, The reason for that, guys, was there was a lot of people who were trying to play the system, so to speak, and kind of cheated a little bit to where, okay, one partner would be standing, you know, maybe with like a front headlock position on his opponent, and the guy who was in the headlock would be, be touching the ground with one fingertip, and because of that, they were ruled a grounded fighter, and they would try to time it to where, okay, as their opponent was trying to throw a knee to their body in the amateurs or to the head in the pros, they would put that finger down on the ground, and at the moment of contact, that strike would be illegal. So because there were guys who were trying to, you know, kind of flirt with that line and whatnot and try to cheat the system, uh, they decided to make that adjustment into the unified rules. And they said that anything, right, that it had to be more than just a fingertip on the ground to, to constitute a grounded fighter. 
Unfortunately, in Washington, at the time, we hadn't adopted that rule change. However, now that we're starting to get back out there, the state's opening up more, and we're able to start getting back out into competition, I should probably make sure that I do my due diligence and uh, figure out whether that change has happened here in Washington or not. Well, I better get on that. <laughs> but just so, again, guys, right, for, for basic general purposes, right, if a knee is on the ground, if an entire hand is on the ground, if my butt is on the ground, right, that's pretty obviously a grounded fighter, right? Now, here in Washington, for the amateurs, once the fight hits the ground, pretty much for us guys, all of my referees told us it is striking, it is punching and grappling only. Um, most of the time in the amateurs, guys, again, you're not going to be allowed to throw elbows. Um, because again, guys, elbows can slice people open. They can cause a ton of damage and whatnot. And when athletes aren't getting paid, it doesn't make sense to have them get hit with all the big, nasty elbows and getting split open like a Tarantino film and whatnot. So we save the elbows for the pros and whatnot when guys are getting paid and whatnot. Now, from state to state and show to show... There are there is some gray area where you know some rules can change. Um, for instance, we've had a couple of our guys in the past compete on shows where elbows to the body on the ground were allowed. So you could you could strike to the body with an elbow, but you just couldn't hit the head with it. Um, there's also some some difference, guys, whether or not up kicks and down kicks are allowed. For those of you guys who don't know what I mean by that, let's paint this scenario here. Let's say athlete A was standing up and looking down at athlete B, who happens to be on their back. Now, athlete B is facing his standing opponent and has his legs still, ha still has both legs in between. Okay? So now for the down kicks, okay, obviously the standing fighter could throw kicks to his opponent's legs in the amateurs. In the pros, you can start throwing down kicks to the body. Um, here in the, in the States, we are not allowed, even in the pros, we are not allowed to throw kicks to the head of a downed opponent. Um, back in the day, back in, you know, back in the days of pride, that's when you could start throwing those, you know, those soccer kicks and those stomps and whatnot, right, to the head of a, of a downed opponent. And man, you saw some nasty knockouts that way. Um, Vanderlei Silva had some horrible finishes that way. Uh, Mirko Krokop had a couple nasty, gnarly finishes that way. Um, so again, that's, that's the definition of a down kick. Now for the up kicks, right, it's basically the exact same thing. The grounded fighter would be looking to throw like a stomping motion kick or like a hacking motion kick either into his opponent's legs or to the body for the amateurs is still allowed. And then for the pros, now you can start throwing those mean, nasty up kicks to the head. Um, we've seen many, many times where um, a fighter is standing up over his opponent, gets hit with an up kick, and is, is knocked out, is knocked unconscious. Um, one of my old teammates actually won his second pro fight with one of the gnarliest up kicks that landed flush on the chin and just dropped his dude, and the guy was out before he even before his body even hit the ground. So up kicks are are definitely a nasty weapon to have, but just remember that in the amateurs we can only do that on certain shows. There's a lot of shows out there, guys, where those are not going to be allowed. So you're going to need to make sure that when you get to the rules meeting, right, that you're paying attention so you understand whether or not you can or cannot do those, or just make sure that hey, you or your coach contact the promoter and just ask ahead of time just to know what you're getting yourself into. Okay. Um, as far as the grappling department is concerned, um, for the amateurs, 
all submissions are legal with the exception of heel hooks. So chokes are allowed, arm locks are allowed, shoulder locks are allowed, technically wrist locks are allowed, although I have yet to see a wrist lock submission be pulled off in a fight. Um, but heel hooks, guys, or any kind of twisting leg lock, those are usually going to be illegal for the amateurs. Um, because again, guys, right, the damaging potential that heel hooks have, um, for those of you who don't know, you're basically causing the knee to rotate from the inside out, and you're basically tearing the ligaments from bone. Um, it's a very, very devastating lock, and the sneaky thing about them is that you don't really feel pain until things have started to pop and tear. So, again, in the amateur level, when we're not getting paid, it doesn't make sense to, you know, have guys ripping on our legs and potentially crippling us for life if we don't know how to defend it or, you know, counter it. Um, so again, save that for the pros who are making money and whatnot, right? And have hopefully been doing this for a little bit longer and whatnot. <laughs> um, so again, on the ground, guys, right? Um, the striking rules still apply, right? I could punch my grounded partner in the head. I can punch him in the body. I can punch him in the legs if I wanted to. Um, again, if I punch my partner in the head, it has to be from the crown of the head and ears forward. Um, this is where a lot of times guys, you will see guys, you know, accidentally getting hit with shots to the back of the head and stuff. Because again, guys get overzealous. They, they see that potential to finish their partner and they just start swinging wild punches. And then a lot of times they end up clipping their partner in the back of the head. Now, there's also a lot of gray area for a lot of these now. Um, for instance here. Yes, strikes to the back of the head are illegal, right? Now, here's, here's a situation, though. Let's say two athletes are standing in front of each other. Athlete A decides to throw a straight shot right down the middle, aiming directly to the front of his opponent's face. The punch is designed to hit either to the tip of the chin or catch him square in the nose. If athlete A starts throwing that punch and athlete B, halfway through it, decides to turn for whatever reason and causes the shot to hit them in the back of the head, that's not necessarily athlete A's fault. That's athlete B's fault because he stupidly decided to turn and expose the back of his head. So there's a lot of times down there, especially in a ground, you know, in a ground and pound scenario where one guy's sitting on top of his opponent and throwing those, you know, those downward strikes to hopefully finish the fight. You see that a lot of times. Punches are thrown to a clean target area, but their opponent turns, right? And then in turn, they end up kind of hitting them in the back of the head or just a little bit behind the ear. But again, that's not a, that's not the fault of that's not the fault of the top player. That's the fault of the bottom player who just stupidly decided to turn away from it. So again, as much as it sucks, right? You don't be don't be trying to cheat that and turn your head away at the last second to say, oh, no, he hit me in the back of the head. No, that's a that's a pretty dumb idea, right? So let, let's just make sure that you're not doing that one. However, though, guys, if you are the top player, right, and it does come time to start working that ground and pound, make sure you're picking your shots, right? Um, the last thing that we want to end up, you know, is, you know, getting into a, into a position where we could potentially finish the fight, but because we you know, just let adrenaline get a hold of us, right? Or we get too excited. We just start throwing crazy wild haymakers and we end up catching our partner in the back of the head and we end up, you know, getting disqualified or getting the point taken away. Um, again, guys, right? I was, I actually just mentioned this to one of my, uh, one of my kickboxing classes today. 
if you're in a three round fight and you get a point taken away, you get, you commit enough fouls or you commit, you do maybe even just the one foul. If your ref's really, really strict that day, you commit that foul that results in a point being taken away. Pretty much guys, you've damn near lost the fight. It, it, it's, it, it's just that simple. The only way guys that you're going to be able to get that win is if you go out and finish. Um, the only other thing that could potentially happen with you winning is that your opponent also gets a point deducted, right? And then in the last remaining round, you put on such a dominant performance that they have no choice but to rule it a 10-8 round or something like that. So again, if you get a point deducted, you, the odds of you coming out on top victorious if the fight does happen to go the distance, you just dug yourself into a hole and you're, you just made your job a hell of a lot harder. So again, right, it definitely behooves oneself to make sure that you know, you know, again, know what your rules are and make sure that you're playing by them, right? Um, it's so funny, too, because you, you look at other sports, right, when guys, you know, start making that transition, you know, from the amateur to the pro ranks or, you know, whatever it is, um, you always hear about guys saying, like, man, I didn't know I couldn't do that, um, or I didn't know that that was allowed, right? Um, off the top of my head, I, uh, just this last uh, a couple weeks ago uh, in the National Football League, um, the Steelers and the Lions played uh, played to a 16-all tie. Um, it went to overtime, and then nobody ended up scoring in that overtime period, so they ruled it a tie. I can't remember who which player said this, but one player, I believe it was from Pittsburgh, one of their players came out in an interview with the press and said, I didn't even know that you could tie in the pros. Which, again, is really, really funny you know, to me, considering that, hey... You've, you just spent all this time adjusting your, your skill set and your understanding of the rules from the college rule set to the pro rule set. You would think that you would also kind of look into, hey, you can, besides, you know, what, you know, for the NFL, what constitutes a catch and what doesn't constitute a catch or whatever it may be, you'd also think that they would know, like, hey, ties are allowed in the NFL, so they should probably, you know, make sure that they understand that rule, too. Um, again, maybe a little bit of a different scenario with it being a team sport and everything, but it also does just come down to guys, just, you know, basic accountability, right? Um, I think no matter what level that you choose to, you know, to go out there and compete at, whether, especially in our sport and mixed martial arts, whether it's at the amateur level or at the professional level, you as the athlete are responsible for knowing what's allowed and what isn't allowed. Um, if you're that athlete who shows up and you, you know, and you, just didn't do your homework or didn't do your due diligence or weren't paying attention in the rules meeting and you go out and commit a foul and you get DQ'd, you have nobody to feel bad for but yourself because you didn't pay attention during the rules meeting or you just didn't do your homework and know what's allowed. So again, as the athlete, make sure that you're doing your due diligence on that and understanding what is, what's legal and what isn't. Um, now, for some of my viewers out there, maybe some of you guys have started looking at... Uh, or not looking at, but maybe have started watching some, uh, watching some of the fights from one championship. Um, one of the other major, major mixed martial arts organizations, uh, that's based out of Singapore. Um, and I, I say that guys, right there financially guys and from, you know, from everything that they have, they, they are just as big as the UFC. The only problem guys and the reason why they don't seem as popular is just because obviously their market is based out in Singapore and they're kind of catering to that audience a little bit more. 
hopefully in the future they're able to start establishing some American presence here and giving the UFC and Bellator and some of those other leagues a little bit more competition and whatnot. Because one championship is a fantastic product, what they present. Um, anyways, getting a little sidetracked here. Um, but for those of you guys who have watched uh, you know, mixed martial arts bouts from one championship, you'll probably notice some of the rules that are uh, a little on the different side. For instance, knees to the head of a grounded opponent in one championship are absolutely fair game. Um, it actually came back and bit uh, you know, my, my, my current MMA idol and hero, Demetrius Johnson. It came back and bit him in the ass. Um, he fought for the title not too long ago and ended up getting knocked out with a knee to the head that in the UFC, under what's classified as the unified rule set, would have been illegal. But competing under one championship and what they refer to as the global rule set, that knee to the head was perfectly was perfectly legal and allowed. Um, the other difference over there in one championship with the global rule set is that all elbows are are allowed. Um, here in the states or anywhere else that follows the unified rule set, elbows are all fair game except for what's referred to as the twelve to six elbow, the ceiling to floor elbow. Um, and there's a really, really stupid story as to why the 12 to 6 elbow is illegal, but just, you know, I'm not going to go into super, you know, amount of detail on that, but in one championship, you can throw that 12 to 6 elbow, you can throw elbows of all angles as long as it hits a legal, a legal striking area. So again, if you throw an elbow to the head, make sure it's from the crown of the head or ears forward. Um, this also guys, right, just thinking about some other little anecdotes that I always remember from the rules meetings. Um, when it comes to the pros, the pro rules meetings, um, cause I've had the, the good fortune of being in, you know, a couple of my teammates corners for their pro fights. The refs will always tell us that if like, for example, if, uh, athlete a had athlete B pinned up against the cage and was, you know, threatening to take, you know, his partner down with a single leg or a double leg. Um, if athlete a was in on the takedown and athlete B has their back up against the fence, you see a lot of times the the guy who's still standing and trying to fight off the takedown will still start trying to throw punches to the side of their partner's head and also start looking to throw elbows now this is where you got to start being careful with some of those elbows right because again the ceiling the floor is illegal however all of all of the refs that i've you know listened to at the rules meetings for pro fights have always said as long as you scoop it just enough to change the angle from ceiling to change it just even the slightest bit away from ceiling to floor, then they're probably going to let it go. So if you can make the path of your elbow, so if you guys are doing this at home, if you were to take your right hand and hold it up above your head and pull it straight, pull that elbow straight down in front of you from ceiling to floor, that would be an illegal elbow. However, if I was to take that same right hand and hold it up above my head, and then as I start to pull it down, kind of change the angle and make it kind of come from almost like a little bit of a circular angle down to the target, then that one would be fair game because, again, it's not coming directly from ceiling to floor. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird little way to kind of bend that rule. But again, most refs were telling us, again, as long as it's not directly 12 to 6, we're probably not going to say anything. Um, again, any other direction, though, guys... Um, straight into the face right in a standing situation um bringing the point of the elbow from the side in on your partner's face like if we were on a ground fight and i was on top of my partner and i was i was bringing my elbow backwards into their face that's totally fair game um but again just making sure that the 12 to 6 that's the one that hey they're gonna start 
they're going to start having some issues with. Um, the other big, uh, big one, guys, um, maybe it's not such a big one, but it's kind of one of those unwritten ones. And unfortunately, in the amateur promotion that I had the privilege of competing at numerous times, um, we ran into this problem a lot. So I'm going to paraphrase, guys, um, what we got told um, on this one subject here. Touching gloves is not a requirement. Once the bell rings to signify the start of the round, the fight is on. And the number one rule of combat sports, guys, when that bell rings, is you protect yourself at all times. Okay. Now, does going out and touching gloves at the start of a round show good sportsmanship? Absolutely it does, right? Um, thinking back on my career, guys, I, I think there was literally only maybe a hand, maybe two times, actually. Yeah, there was only twice that I didn't go out and touch gloves at the start of the round. No, three times. Sorry. So three times I didn't go out and touch gloves at the start of the round. Um, again, it, it's just that it's that quick little show of sportsmanship, right? Okay, boom, we touch, take a step back. All right, now let's get to moving again. Okay? Now, on that particular show, we ran into this a couple of times where one athlete starts walking to the center, right? Extending an arm out saying, hey, you know, you want to touch, right? And then athlete B says, okay, yeah, I'll touch. And then as soon as their first hand touches their partner's glove, they start winging a big, nasty overhand right or a big haymaker shot to the head. And then it's viewed as like, hey, wait a minute, this guy, this guy took a cheap shot. Yes, it technically, I mean, if you want to look at it from that perspective, yeah, it is kind of a cheap shot, right? Your partner wasn't expecting it and they were kind of trusting you in good faith, you know, to show that quick little sign of sportsmanship. But at the same time, though, what's the number one rule? protect yourself at all times when that bell rings the fight is on and whatever kind of whatever kind of tactics that your opponent wants to do to take advantage and win the fight i mean that's that's their prerogative so if they want to fake the glove touch and then go out and pull the haymaker shot on you you know technically that's fair game so you know again does it show can it sh be a show of bad sportsmanship or whatnot yeah, I mean, in that in that opinion can also vary from person to person. But just understand, though, guys, once that bell rings, if your partner doesn't want to touch gloves or if you don't want to touch gloves, you are not obligated to do so, right? Obviously, after the fight, hey, make sure that, you know, you, you go over, you shake your partner's hand, right? You look them in the eyes, right? All, you know, the good sportsmanship stuff then, right? But at the beginning of the fight, though, guys, right, when that bell rings, you are not obligated to touch gloves. I don't care what, you know, the look on his face says or his or her face says, right? I don't care what kind of reaction you get from the crowd and the audience, right? If you don't want to touch or if they don't want to touch, that is entirely their prerogative, right? And something you might want to think of, something that I started doing, guys, after, you know, after, you know, getting this piece of advice from one of my teammates, Maybe reach out with one hand, you know, and offer that glove touch, but maybe have the other hand, guys, maybe have the other hand up nice and high by your head still and keep your chin tucked just in case you do get that partner who does want to try to pull that shot on you. Yeah, at least we still have a hand up, right? We still got our chin protected, right? And we're at least kind of ready for that potential cheap shot that might come our way. Um, again, guys, right? This was just a very brief rundown of the rules and whatnot. We could absolutely go into further detail on all of the different areas, the stand-up fight, the ground fighting portion, right? 
we could even go further and further, guys, into, okay, what's allowed as far as, you know, tape and gauze for wrapping your hands and stuff like that, right? But today, guys, like I said, I just wanted to talk, you know, about the basic rules, right, um, for our sport of mixed martial arts, just so that way for my newer viewers, right, um, or, you know, my newer listeners, sorry, I got to get out of saying viewers, right, one of these days I'll get myself a camera and we'll get up on YouTube and everything, um, but for my newer listeners out there who maybe haven't been as, you know, familiarized with the rules of MMA, hopefully this helps you guys on the next time that you do happen to be watching a fight, right? Now you'll have hopefully at least a little bit better understanding, right, of what's allowed and what isn't allowed. Um, again, for my listeners who are, you know, potentially going to be stepping into a ring or a cage for their first competition... My best piece of advice for you guys when it comes to the rules is just make sure that you and your coach or one of you, right, reaches out to your promotion and just asks for a quick rundown of the rules. Um, again, not every promotion is going to be the same. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of different, you know, there can be a, a lot of difference or maybe no difference at all from show to show. Um, so, again, just make sure that you, you know, cover all your bases and just make sure that you kind of just double check with the promotion as far as what is allowed and what isn't allowed. That can also, guys, vary from state to state as well, right? So if you do happen to get that opportunity to travel and whatnot, um, like a few of my teammates have gotten to do, just make sure, again, guys, that, hey, you're doing your due diligence, covering your bases. Make sure that you understand what you can and cannot do. The last thing that we would want to have happen, guys, is for us to get disqualified um, or put ourselves in an unwinnable situation just because we didn't understand the rules of the game that we're playing, right? Um, again, guys, uh, thank you all for tuning in and listening. Um, for you guys who maybe didn't understand the rules of our sport, I hope that this has been you know a little bit more and you know insightful and helpful for you guys. And hopefully, this helps you guys kind of better understand the game of mixed martial arts a little bit. Um, obviously, in the future, guys, we could totally go more in depth about you know strategy and you know and overall kind of you know instances and what's happening during a fight and whatnot but um again we can always just save that for future episodes hopefully guys next week uh i'll be able to bring in another guest and we'll be able to have another sit down and have ourselves a good conversation um but until that time guys again i hope you guys all had a great uh wonderful thanksgiving with loved ones and good food uh train hard this next week guys stay safe and we will see you all next time